Hey, this is the Pacific War Channel, the channel that covers the entire history of the Asia-Pacific War from 1937 all the way up to 1945, and all the major events that led up to it. And I am here with a guest, uh, the guy who got me to become a YouTuber. Please, uh, without further ado, Cody from Alternate History Hub, how are you? Oh, shucks. Um, th thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, how are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm great. And I do not say that to every YouTuber who's on here. Trust me. It's honestly, it's your channel got me and a lot of my friends that, uh, you know, grew up in Quebec to watch all sorts of your videos, honestly, and Pointless Hub. I really do like your secondary channel, too. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I mean, that means a lot. Um, I mean, I think uh, a lot of, I mean, for me personally, a lot of channels have kind of inspired me to make my own videos. Um, and it's never really just solely one channel. It always seems to be a a combination of of channels that that inspired me and still inspire me honestly i i kind of think every few years or so i, I take inspiration from what people are currently doing and i'm just like oh man this is such a cool idea and you kind of implement it a little bit in your you know video. do you ever feel like you do that for your videos of you see something and you just get inspired or you're like oh man that's such a kind a of a cool a hundred percent actually i can give you a funny story um so as many of my viewers know, I, I happen to work freelance for Kings and Generals, and uh, most of my job has to been write, to, to write and narrate the podcast for the Pacific War series. But I was uh, at one point I was invited to a Discord community call where guys just get to talk to some of the writers and they ask questions. And I was asked three questions, and all three were alternate history questions. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and I knew immediately upon what they were uh that people were honestly really interested in that when it comes to the pacific war so the the big one of course that everyone always asks is you know what if pearl harbor was different or what if it didn't happen at all which happens to be a video that you had made quite a long time ago but it was probably one of the first videos i ever saw you uh you did Hey everyone, I just wanted to let you know I now have a Patreon account found at www.patreon.com slash the Pacific War channel. Over there you can find exclusive Patreon episodes and podcasts based on suggestions from patrons, and other benefits like early access to all of my content, live hangouts, your name in the end credits, and much, much more. So please go check it out. Well, uh, the, uh, that video is probably terrible. I have not rewatched it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm glad it inspired you. Uh, Hopefully inspired to make better better content. Um, but I uh, I can't remember honestly what my my take for that that video was. I think that's a, a funny thing about a lot of older my older videos. I kind of forget what I said, and so <laughs> when I have someone comment or like respond to me, I'll still get like messages on Twitter when they're like, "Hey, this video you made like eight years ago, you were wrong," and then I I just respond to them, "Yeah, I was wrong." Like I don't <laughs> I you you kind of learn and you over over the years and doing this stuff for so long that you just retain all this knowledge and then when you go back on your old videos you think oh that i i could have worded that better i you know i <laughs> oh, probably God. misinterpreted something and i think that's a lot easier to do with alternate history that like normal i didn't get the history wrong on i didn't say like oh december 12th you know 1940 was when pearl harbor happened but it's still because alternate history is so subjective oh, yeah. um everyone can have a different opinion from us but and you can have opinions <laughs> that differ between different years and so it's like if i look at any of my old videos i'm i'm my biggest critic i just think oh i would that's horrible i want to just get rid of it i would get rid of all of my videos if it didn't do oh my, my god 
But yeah, what if Japan uh, didn't? I, I think what if Japan was better, like did bomb Pearl Harbor better, is is a pretty interesting idea. Because um, I think it was even something like if they bombed specific tanks, the uh, fuel tanks, yep. it could have detrimentally altered the you know the beginning of the Pacific War. Definitely, and actually, I can I can speak a little bit more about this because when uh, that in that conversation I had with these uh, K KNG fanboys, they asked me. They said three things. Okay, what if Pearl Harbor just there was no attack? What would have uh, been the outcome? But yeah. the second one was okay. What if it went so much better? And a lot of people focus on oh, what if the carriers were there? What if the carriers were hit? But like you pointed out, uh, the oil the oil storage tanks at Pearl Harbor, if they had been knocked out. The United States would have had to abandon Hawaii. They would have had to go to the uh, to the Western Coast. But uh, interesting enough, of all places I've ever done my research on a forum, a retired firefighter from Hawaii had written down that given the aircraft that were bombing, uh, so the Japanese had light bombers. They weren't using like heavy bombers for the attack on Pearl Harbor. Yeah. the uh, The chances of actually blowing up one of these oil tanks was pretty minimal and even if they managed to blow up one they were built in such a way that uh, the firefighting teams would have actually had an easy time putting it out so it wouldn't get to the other any other tanks so honestly uh it was pretty hopeless for the japanese to be able to take them down oh man kind of feel sorry for them a little bit <laughs> no. yeah in a lot of ways uh the more you learn about pearl harbor and i actually i had interviewed a guy who that's his whole thing all he does is pearl harbor he's a documentarian he uh yeah he said the japanese had failed horribly because the re the repair facilities for all the ships were completely intact and i mean they're made out of steel it would have been actually pretty difficult to blow them up yeah. uh the japanese had a lot of work cut out for them they attacked a bunch of ships that were in shallow water that couldn't really be sunk <laughs> many many of the ships weren't they were just repaired later it w it was in many ways just kind of a a leap of faith in a way a, a ditch a last ditch effort to try to because they knew war was coming they knew that they couldn't you know do what they were doing without the americans coming after them so it was just kind of their you know we slap you first try to do something and it just it didn't quite pan out for them yeah um, yeah i wonder how i wonder actually how the american public would have viewed japan if america had declared war in japan first I mean, it, it, it's such an interesting question. I think you tackled this because in, in your episode, you went with the route of, you know, Pearl Harbor isn't attacked. So Japan actually, uh, in your video, would attack the uh, the Russians instead, which yeah. definitely was a plausibility in the 30s. They they had yeah. a strategy for it. But I don't um, know if I would agree with that now, but... <laughs> well, you know, it, it's funny because it, it would have failed horribly. It would have been an absolute oh, yeah. joke. It would have failed horribly, and I, I mean, that was the one thing, I don't know why I said that, that was like the one thing in the war Japan was avoiding more than anything was to get the Russians involved. Uh, yep. So, the fact that I said that they would go in and attack Russia makes me laugh. But I mean, the outcome in your video was spot on. Uh, it would, would have been the invasion of Japan from the Soviets and the Soviets, oh, it, yeah. It, it certainly would have. I mean, that, I, I, I can't... It would be shocking if Japan somehow won that. Uh, I see a few alternate history scenarios when they're like, oh, Japan invades Russia and Japan wins. So I guess 
I guess I wasn't terribly wrong with that. But My, and you know, a, a lot of uh, especially even the K and G fanboys who were talking to me, they actually were asking. That was their third biggest question. Well, you know, if Japan went with what was known as the Hoku Shinron strategy, they would have claimed Siberia and they would have seized the oil that they needed to win the war. And it's like yeah. going through Siberia is longer and more tedious than going across the Pacific Ocean at that point <laughs> oh for sure and it's even if you think oh that can take a little bit of siberia Ooh. one word can just completely destroy them just say manchuria and that's it it's just like what happened to manchuria yeah <laughs> it that's the most embarrassing 1945 just for the the gates of hell to open up on them just to get trampled upon oh yeah and that's what they were avoiding the whole time and it's yeah. and it's like that's funny that i i did say that they would attack honestly i think if they did attack Okay, let's let's make a little bit of an alternate history scenario right now. Let's plan plan a little thing. So Japan doesn't attack Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. Sorry, something. My little Tetris thing fell. I have a little tiny Tetris arcade thing on my desk, and it <laughs> fell for some reason. It's because we're talking about the Soviets. Um, oh but, yeah. Uh, so Japan doesn't attack Pearl Harbor for some reason. Uh, they still end up attacking the rest of the South Pacific, like their plan was. They attack the Philippines. Is that something that gets the Americans? the american public so hot and bothered that they are on board with the war with japan because it's like yeah they're still attacking the philippines which is an american territory but it's it's so far away that's a good point that it's not technically part of american territory the only thing though is the united states all all the way back with uh, teddy uh when they made war plan orange the entire idea was that the japanese will attack the philippines they based all their their entire war strategy is we're going to get attacked. It's going to be the Philippines for sure. And we're going to probably, it'll take us about six months to a year to build up the Pacific Navy. And we're going to go get back the Philippines, whatever is attacked, Guam probably. And then we'll win the war by blockading Japan, which so, is kind of what happens. Honest, okay, so they don't attack Hawaii. And then, so it's really just, yeah, because the Philippines were seen as just as American as Hawaii. They're both territories. Yeah. At the time, so... Yeah, and plus uh, the J the Japanese still would have captured American troops. Yeah, and a so lot that, too. That would have been probably more propagated in American, you know, the American mindset of those captured troops than than Pearl Harbor. It's not as flashy as American ships burning, but I mean that's still men that the Japanese captured. Um, and the the thing that a lot of people fail to realize, uh, although you know attacking Pearl Harbor the way they did, you know, knocking out, let's say, the battleships. Uh, it, it, yeah, it did definitely decrease, you know, the United States capabilities at the offset of the Pacific War for their Navy. But even with the full force of the Pacific Navy in 1941, they couldn't withstand the IGN. It would have been still like the Japanese would have stomped them if they actually had a, had a battle. So if they took the Philippines and the Americans came straight at them, I don't know why they would do that. But uh, yeah, it, it, the Japanese would have a chance to fight a pretty big battle, but I think both navies would be destroyed. Yeah, pretty pretty much. I think that's a good, that's a fair assessment. And and for Japan not having a navy is kind of not an option. <laughs> that's always the the funniest thing about talking about alternate history with the Pacific War, and I even get some of these complaints when when people talk about my videos. Is why is the alternate history sometimes so close to our regular history, and and for me, at least, uh, the reason I do that sometimes is because history is bigger than just, you know, battle plans and, uh, you know, great men and, and stuff like that. Uh, just because you win one battle, it doesn't change the overall. I mean, some battles you can, but 
the difference between America and Japan and just their scale of economy and what they could produce was was something you can't change just by, you know, Japan bombing Pearl Harbor better or not attacking Pearl Harbor at all. Like America would always be able to reproduce more ships than Japan would. Japan would always be on the back foot. And it makes it so, so it's like, can you think of a an alternate history scenario where Japan would actually be kind of in the advantage in the Pacific War? Where because they knew that they were at a disadvantage against the Americans. They knew they didn't have the resources. So, in your opinion, if they successfully captured, say, like Southeast Asia, they got all that good oil, they got all the natural rubber and stuff like that. Somehow they fortified the positions or whatever. Do you think they would? <laughs> this is a lot of ifs. If they somehow did that and America still didn't like go after them, do you think they would have had a chance against the United States? You know, it's I've done this. I've actually had in a, I've had two entire podcasts on this question. And we went through all the different ways this could go down. Like you said, for some reason, the United States leaves them alone for a long yeah. time or they fail to do really anything. Yeah, just again, whatever. Yeah. The Japanese have uh, the Dutch East Indies, so they got the oil. <laughs> it's the the it's funny a... <laughs> the funny thing that people like and people hate hearing this uh at the very beginning of the war the japanese the the imperial army has 52 divisions 35 of those are in china like 80 percent of the war effort never changes it's always in china that's the actual war that's going on japan's stuck they're actually screwed like lashing out at the west was kind of this hail maker to try and save their terrible china situation so i mean it's just it's never looking good for them adding more enemies if uh, i remember i remember there was a guy he asked me okay but what if they just don't go after the americans and they just attack you know the british in hong kong and singapore and that's it and again uh, fdr was looking for any excuse to get into the war i mean he even the people who have like conspiracy theories about, oh, well, Pearl Harbor is an inside job or some crazy shit like that. I mean, FDR was going to find a way to get the war to come to their door, whether it was Europe or not. And I just there's there's no great situation for Japan. And ultimately, what Japan did, their whole strategy was hurt America so much that they'll eventually negotiate a peace. And that's what they did. That was honestly, they played it by the books. Yeah, I kind of in a way of. Uh... It's almost like you don't have to be the biggest guy in the room, but you you can be the scariest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Japan was kind of like that. It's just like they they terrified the Americans so much of even an idea of a home invasion, oh or not home. Uh, yeah, homeland invasion, not a home invasion, homeland invasion. And, <laughs> home invasion. And, 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 <laughs> they just break into the emperor's <laughs> palace. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean that's that's it. They they did inevitably, uh, you know, have negotiations. I, it's kind of funny how, you know, the one thing was they just they didn't want to. Japan was just afraid of uh, them toppling the emperor, and that was yeah. one of the main things of why they they had they didn't want to do the unconditional surrender. And then two nuke cities later, and then they finally did it, and they kept, and we kept the emperor anyway. And it's just there's so much like pointless lo- loss of life over this very slim thing that happened anyway, and. It's, I, I'm myself. I'm not American. I'm a Canadian, but uh, I know we Canadians. We have the I, an identical teaching of you know World War Two. It's 
90% Europe, and then, oh, well, Pearl Harbor happens, and then the nukes. Like, that's basically what you hear. Yeah. But when it comes to the uh, the Kokutai, so the embodiment of the emperor and the system of the emperor rules down that the people of Japan actually don't have constitutional rights. It's the emperor who holds it for them. It's a weird constitution. Yeah. Um, the, the rationale for surrendering was basically 100% because of the invasion of Manchuria. So it, it's always interesting when you hear from people, especially Americans, when we're talking about like the nuclear weapons, for example. They they had been trying the whole, for, for about half of a year, no, actually it was like a full year at the end of the war, the Japanese were trying to get a peace deal with the USSR. And uh, they kind of like were giving the USSR kind of the dumbest demands you could imagine. Like they, the Japanese were putting like major demands, even though they knew they were losing the war. And from Moscow's point of view, it, it did make sense. And then when they approached the Americans, it was like you said, you know, they couldn't accept an unconditional surrender because they feared that the emperor would be toppled. Mm-hmm. And there was like a legitimate reason why they were doing this and et cetera, et cetera. But what I always find interesting is at the very end of the war, when the emperor himself's getting involved in some of these questions about when to surrender, one of the things that actually pushed him that people don't talk about is he was receiving reports that the military and civilian population in Japan were starting to speak ill about him. Oh. So the social fabric of Japan of like revering the emperor was actually dissipating in the last uh, the last half of the last year. So it, it would actually be, it, I know because you had touched this a bit in your alternate history videos, it would have been interesting if they did have to invade the home islands and how that would have gone down. I, it's something that I always kind of struggle with because I know I did a video if, what if the U.S. didn't nuke Japan? And it's, those that's one of the videos that I like, I do regret making because <laughs> I feel it bought so much into, um, you know, the, the conception that America had to nuke Japan. I feel like that's that was the one thing it really did. I don't want to make, I don't know. It's 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 always a t- touchy subject whenever I bring this up. Oh, it's well, like, you know, it's un- it's understandable because uh, it's the same for our education system here when I was like in high school in Canada, you know, to question the, you, the first thing you're always taught is the nukes had to be done because it saved more lives. Like necessary evil. Yeah. Yeah. And it <laughs> and then it just becomes, you know, what what if it was an unnecessary evil? And that's something that it's just like for, I think, the American public, too. Uh, it's It's just it's something that nobody really wants. To talk about. and it's such it's still such a, a a touchy topic but i mean i bought into that when i made that video and i was talking about oh there's the, the invasion plan was going to cost like a mil it was going to be such a, a detriment to the the u.s military and there's going to be so many lives lost and then when i actually you know look into it further and then the, there were really no real invasion plans for the japanese islands like there was a few, but nothing, nothing concrete like D-Day. It wasn't like they were about to invade Japan, like they were gonna invade France or you know Germany. Um, you know. And, oh, sorry. Keep going. Uh, and so it's just like I know that there was the idea of the blockade, and the blockade was the was definitely the the, the plan. But when I fed into this whole idea of that they were going to invade Japan and it was going to be a whole third stage to the war in a way. Um, I don't know. 
you know Sorry. what's uh, what's a bit interesting about that. I recently um, I was interviewing a Canadian military historian. Uh, he specializes. He actually did his dissertation in the Battle of Hong Kong, which is interesting. Yeah, we actually got to talking about Operation Downfall because uh, Canadians were going to be part of it. Uh, we were going to be part of this thing called the Commonwealth Force that never came to be. So yeah. it would have been it would have been a division: Canadians, British. Yeah. Uh, Anzac, everyone except for uh, India, because uh, apparently Douglas MacArthur didn't want Indians involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> that, sound, that sounds like MacArthur. Yeah. yeah. But Downfall was like, it was still in the beginning stages. Of yeah, yeah. They, uh, they were planning it on the go. And they didn't like, when you read about what they were expecting, given, you know, because we all have hindsight as to what actually probably would have happened, it wouldn't look like what they were expecting. Because uh, they they expected like women and children to have bamboo spear points to like yeah. fight to the death. It, no, nah, it would it really wouldn't have gone down like that. But uh, they were expecting it, so they basically they were just gonna go through Okinawa, hit from the top, and then do the middle at the end. And it would have been a colossal feat to do. And I'm yeah, trying to remember, wasn't there plans for like gas attacks and stuff? Like, yep, yeah. So that was, yeah. I I, I think honestly, um. I don't know if downfall. I mean, honestly, the blockade probably would have starved them out before any oh, of yeah. that would have happened. Like downfall is something that, knowing what I know now about the state that Japan was in, they were never in a position to allow an invasion to happen. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, I had uh, a conversation with one guy. It was only about the uh, the bombing campaigns against Japan, and he brought up something that I even I'm guilty of this too. I never really thought about this. The most significant thing that hurt the Japanese population, the home islands, in the end was pretty much mines that they laid to do the blockade of all of the major ports because they had a failed yield of crops uh, in the last year of the war. And despite that, even if they did have crops, they weren't able to move it throughout the country. So people were starving at a massive level. And basically, it broke the social contract for, for the average Japanese person. They were just... Oh getting it was getting worse and worse they were unruly bandits were everywhere people were attacking each other it was horrifying and uh yeah they, it wasn't a situation where you would see suddenly all of these japanese units being taken out of china and the mainland to yeah put up a defense when they can't even feed their population yeah i think honestly I, that's that's a video i would kind of really want to remake <laughs> i remake it and just have the whole thing's almost a a debunking of that old video yeah interesting but a lot of people have made i think a lot of people have made those type of videos by now oh so. yeah there's a lot of felton there's a few there's a few youtubers who probably always it's a it's, it's one of the questions like everyone goes to yeah it's one of the most cliche ones um but i mean it's still an, an, an important question to ask you know but yeah. Eh. Yeah. but uh in your videos i have to say you usually come to the ending conclusion where the Russians get involved in the invasion. Like, let's say they come through Hokkaido, the Sakon Islands and all that. Yeah. And uh, even a, a situation like you had mentioned uh, in one of your videos, if Japan had been separated in two, like we saw with Germany at the end of World War II. Yeah. Totally realistic. Oh, definitely. yeah. Yeah. It, if it did somehow get to a state that downfall did still have to happen and, you know, the Soviets did invade, I mean, that would be the inevitable conclusion to that. Um, I like, I just like the idea of... <laughs> 
dividing nations up like, <laughs> you like do. That, i don't know why it's so it's so weird it's such, such a satisfying thing of like oh yeah like a north japan and a south japan and or i did a, a north italy, italy and a south italy that was a good just, you just make these fake <laughs> capitalist and communist flags and it's very satisfying um but yeah i think uh i, I kind of like i just like the idea of the aesthetic of north japan in a way because it would just be the northern northern portion of Honshu and then uh, Hokkaido and it's like Hokkaido is already such a northerly winter land and you combine that with like late Soviet aesthetic I don't know. it actually <laughs> would have worked because the the people in in Hokkaido there's like there's even um the Anu which were like an aboriginal yeah. group like the they're different as a people still to this yeah. day they would they probably would have meshed a little bit better with the Russians to be honest <laughs> It would have been actually pretty funny from a, a modern day perspective. It'd be like, oh man, there Japan was united once, and it would seem like a <laughs> weird thing from a, an alternate perspective. Kind of like I don't know. I think people, if you ever look at a, a map of Korea when it was unified, yeah, it almost looks weird now. Yeah, just, yeah, and it's funny. It's funny how that's like that. Um, but uh, yeah, northern. There was an anime uh, about northern Japan, like the Soviets invaded. And uh, it was, it was, I forgot what it was called. I talked about it in my iceberg video, but they had like some portal they built to like some dimension and it was a whole thing. Um, but the setting was Hokkaido in Soviet occupied Northern Japan. Wow. And it was, yeah. And it was exactly what I kind of expected it would look, but with some <laughs> anime flair to it. Um, <laughs> I'm a but, yeah, I, but I don't know about this. I got to look it up. It, it was, it's, it was some movie from like, 2003 and it was very very niche very specific um i only found out about it because i was doing the iceberg and it was i think it was one of the bottom most wrong topics and uh, it has like barely a wikipedia entry about it but yeah yeah you dig deep i i watched the iceberg videos that you made wow oh man i um there are a lot of editing mistakes in those those (laughs) part two and three and um my brother brought it up to me and he was like, uh, you know, you screwed up a lot, right? And I was like, yeah, I know. Uh, part two, because uh, I, I had to split. It was only supposed to be two parts. Yeah. I had to split part two and three up because there was a, 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 a family tragedy happened oh. while I was editing part two. And so I had, if you, even if you watch that video, I hard cut and I basically say like something came up. I can't finish it. Uh, so I didn't even... It sounds bad. I didn't really watch that video when I uploaded it. <laughs> I and it's like, yeah, it's a two million subscriber channel, and I'm I'm sending this thing out to the void. But I already knew it's an iceberg video, a part two of an yeah. iceberg video. Not many people are gonna watch it. I didn't know that the first video, the first video has like five million views now. Oh, and iceberg videos got popular. Like I, just... I know, I didn't know it'd be like that big. So it's like I would have I would have at least given it a rewatch if I knew it was going to be popular. I thought it was going to be like minimum two hundred thousand people were going to watch it. But anyway, I was dealing with this, this personal family thing. I had to travel across the country, Oof. and I was just like, okay, I got to get this video just out, and I just got it sent out. And then I get a text from my brother, and he's like, yeah, you screwed up like ten times in the edit. Like you repeat like phrases and stuff, and I'm like, oh, no. So I haven't even been able to rewatch those videos because I. I'm afraid. I'm just like, okay, in my mind, they're good edited videos, and I'm embarrassed to just go back and see how bad they are. It's like a report card 
that you know you bombed a test and you don't <laughs> you don't want to see it. <laughs> so I uh, I definitely was I was looking forward to having this conversation with you about just one thing that I know that you've had to tackle because I think when it comes to literature, outside of Henry Turtledove, of course. Yeah. Oh my God, him. He's a he's, he's an a American brand. He's an American classic. <laughs> yeah. He's he's the. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the scenarios that he comes up with, like the one where um, World War Two kind of just it's what is it? it it occurs a little bit earlier a little bit later and it and he goes through the dramatic changes yeah i mean i love um i love turtle dove scenarios i hate turtle dove books if that makes sense <laughs> yeah. turtle dove books are best read on a wikipedia article that goes through everything yeah. or in a youtube video describing it uh because it's like he's he's fantastic coming up with uh you know, intricate scenarios. Imagination. And how, well, imagination. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I love the, the stuff that he comes up with, but the characters are only there to perpetuate the scenario happening. So it's like if you had a World War II movie, but all of the characters only exist to be like, oh, man, the Battle of Stalingrad is happening. Oh, wow. Have you heard about the Civil War in Spain? crazy and that's every no one's talking about their emotions no one's talking about the actual yeah. real impact that you have in that war it just be like oh wow churchill's gonna be pissed bombing of london's happening <laughs> it's it's very fascinating and also i think i love turtle dove and i know if you ever listen like i love Tur he's a, he's a super nice person <laughs> oh yeah yeah i've talked to him on twitter he i kept i don't know what i had said something along the lines of like i was making a joke and he like came after me once on twitter i was like hey i'm a fan i, don't, I didn't mean anything oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah it's not it's not no one even in my videos i never mean ill will and uh it's it's always just funny it's i don't know i think i always kind of get a little angry when i write read his videos or read his books just because i have to read through the books and it's just yeah. the dialogue is a little bit of a little bit of a slug i will say he writes women exactly what a history nerd would write women. <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> it's like somehow these teenage girls always know about the complexity and logistics of a eastern european army and their americans i was like you don't know that what oh are you talking God, about? <laughs> it's very it makes me laugh but i love turtle though but uh yeah. <laughs> but one book that you've i you have well it's actually it became a tv series too you definitely have tackled is of course the man in the high castle yeah and uh i mean i love the the book i loved when i i think i read it when i was like a teenager the show was i found it was pretty good initially but wow they go really far off the rocker in they that do. one they do i think i mean it's i don't think it's a bad I think it's just really the original book does not lend itself to a four series no. thing. I thought that it was going to be they do like one to two seasons and then end it. And then they decided to just play around with the whole time travel thing. Oh, yeah. I think it's something that a lot of alternate history media really just likes playing around with is the idea of just, oh, alternate dimensions. And now we have. In pop culture, we have this whole multiverse thing, we have alternate dimension. That's the new hit thing is yeah. multi-dimensions and all that stuff. And I don't know. I think the way that they did it, I I, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's not a great series or anything like that, but it, it definitely could have done been done worse. 
I, I honestly, I, from a cinema, you know, just from the looks and how they did, you know, costume design, some of the ideas other than the time traveling at the end, I, excluding just that one, it was pretty well done. I found it, it wasn't too, too bad. And it was interesting. Like, you know, they had to play with such silly ideas like, well, Hitler's going to die at some point. Who's going to yeah. take over? And it's a uh, cutthroat, you know, amongst the inner circle. It's, it's, it's a fun show. Yeah, it's a fun show. I don't take it too seriously with like historiography, like, you know, how historically accurate it would be. Um, I mean, even in the original book, it's it's pretty clear that it's like the Nazis are like so far advanced in the future. Which yeah. Is, like, a misconception. They're like um, on Mars in the book at that yeah. point. It's it's insane how advanced <laughs> the Germans are. I think, um, you know, because Harry Turldove wasn't really just uh, he wasn't a history writer. He was a science fiction writer. So, of course, he's going to lean very hardly into that, you know, the science fiction aspect of it. Um, oh, I do yeah. Think okay, Dick, you mean, yeah. Felt, yeah. What did I say? <laughs> Turtle Dove. <laughs> Harry Turtle Dove made, yeah, he made it. Um, I'm going to blame him for it. That's what I'm going to blame him for. Uh, no. Yeah, Phil K. Dick, um, you know, he... <laughs> I can't believe I said that. That's <laughs> no worries. Funny. I, I'm on autopilot with the thing about Harry Turtle Dove. Um, but, uh, yeah. The idea that the Nazis were so advanced in their technology, oh yeah, uh, kind of started with Man in the High Castle, um, or at least yeah. with perpetuated the idea that if they had, like, there's already from their, um, you know, from like their war films and stuff like that, the Nazis love to have the idea that they're this technologically advanced, you know, super state. Essentially, they never showed the the logistics of like the horse drawn carriages or anything like that. It was always <laughs> the highest tech. It was always the tanks. It was this mechanized military and stuff like that. And then that that kind of bled into pop culture of what the Nazis were in World War II in general. Definitely. And then we got the aesthetic of of, of Nazism essentially, and you know that led into like Star Wars and and all that stuff of how we view the Empire and all that fun jazz. Um, but uh, man, the High Castle really kind of perpetuated this idea that if the Nazis had won the war, then Europe would have been like this scientifically advanced super state and oh a lot of God. that's so much of like alternate history stuff of talking about the nazis is technology is just so much more advanced uh man the high castle does it wolfenstein does it but that's for a a different reason but it's still <laughs> this this common perception in alternate history uh fiction that if the nazis won then it's like we're on mars or like we're on hypersonic jets and and stuff like that. My my favorite little tidbit is if you're, I think it's you're watching the last season of Man in the High Castle, and there's just this one like image of a train going by, and there's freaking rockets attached to it. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, everything in that show has to have rockets. And I mean, when you look at the book, it's true. It's they're burning fuel like there is no tomorrow, and they're using rockets for everything. But the idea of trains using rockets, like, wow, it's fun. It's funny. It has a it has a little bit of a you know scientific <laughs> it's a science fiction yeah. story at the end of the day um i would love to see a uh i'm not gonna say a realistic but a more grounded idea of what a nazi occupied europe would look like yeah. in the modern day it's not like technologically advanced it's not the aesthetic of what we have from like pop culture um but i mean i think it would actually be kind of jarring in a lot of ways of I think when people think of uh, a Nazi occupied Europe, it's it's with these. Do you ever see on Twitter those like return accounts when they talk about like the aesthetics of like 
They have like Baroque uh, and like these neo-Gothic cathedrals and all these like beautiful <laughs> architecture and stuff like that. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. And they're like return. And I feel like a lot of, a lot oh of especially far right people think that that's what kind of a Nazi occupied Europe is. And it's like, no, not like Nazi architecture was like, was almost that brutalist architecture that everyone hates. It just yeah. had an eagle attached to it. Pretty it, much. It was very, uh, even Italian fascism, um, that the aesthetic of fascism was modernist with very little classical influence. It was straight blocks. It was clean slated walls. Um, it would have been miserable, actually. To yeah, it would, have, it would have been basically what we think of as brutalist architecture. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's fascinating that it's we kind of have this misconception that fascist architecture is almost like an art deco. <laughs> I don't know where it became. You see it in Man the High Castle, even oh, with yeah, like absolutely. Romania, and it's like art deco for some reason. And it's like, no, look at the original uh, idea for Germania, and all of those all those little models have these clean, sleek walls that are almost brutalist in architecture. And I, I want to see an actual accurate recreation of what Germania would look like. It, it probably will pay an Eastern European, you know, uh, city almost. It look it will look weird. I think. And you know, I think a lot of these guys are looking at what could have been. You know, like Albert Speer had to do a bunch of designs for like, oh, future Ber Berlin two if they had won and all that. It's like these things never saw the light of day. And during the construction, who knows what would have even been created? I yeah. Mean, one of the funniest things I know a lot of people who always talk about all oh, the what ifs if, if Germany somehow managed to win in World War Two and that it's like Germany didn't even have a full war economy until like the last year of the war. They I remember learning about how Albert Speer had to like teach Germans how to do proper Ford factory assembly for their uh, for their tanks because they were so obsessed with having like specialists build like a single tank from like start to finish, not actually like making you know multiple teams work on just specific parts to make you know make it more efficient like germany yeah. aside from the fact they had no oil it's uh it's kind of ridiculous the things like you had mentioned the the horse drawn carts because like yeah the mobile the mobilization of the german army is pretty much 80 percent horses it's like yeah they, they were not uh they weren't the mecca civilization that people really envision i guess yeah and, and that's Kind of the going back to why people always are like, oh, why is your alternate history so similar to our regular histories? Yeah. And it's because like sometimes there's just a lot of things that you can't change. Germany couldn't change their geography. They couldn't change the resources they had at the beginning of the war. And no amount of, you know, battle logistics or maneuvering or whatever, whatever decisions the generals made could have really changed that unless it was just everyone else gave up. You know, unless everyone gave up, then sure, they could have won the war or something like that. But if we're talking a legitimate defense against them, uh, it was inevitable that they were going to lose if, if people put up a serious fight. Yeah. You know, I, I always get the odd person who like loves to ask me questions. It's always, oh, well, how could the Axis have uh, have won World War Two or, you know, how could have things been different? I always say, well, Hitler could have just settled right away. <laughs> yeah. You could say, like, what's a victory to you? You know, even today. what. You know, things going on in the world with Russia and Ukraine. What is a victory? Yeah, <laughs> These well, questions, well, you know. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's, I mean, it's funny that, uh, I mean, in World War Two, like we, we think of the Axis, the Axis powers were, like Germany was powerful in World War Two, 
but there were no British. There were no British Empire. No. There were no. There were no United States once it actually started. You know, picking up its industrial uh, capabilities. Um, they were always on the back end, yeah. and they were always going to be on the back end. Um, and it's crazy, honestly, that they got as far as they did. Uh, yeah. That's mainly just because of France, but <laughs> yeah, no, honestly. I, I would love more people to bring up because, you know, it used to be a tradition to, you know, kind of mock France in World War II for, the, you know, the failures and all that. And I mean, it, it's not completely France's fault. Britain had a, a hand to play in yeah. the blitz and everything. But yeah, no, like uh, France, <laughs> France not being the one invading Germany is always so hilarious it, to me. It, it really should never have. I mean, if we're talking about the war that came earlier, whatever. Yeah. Speaking of turtle dove, it's like, yeah, what if. Britain and France just didn't tolerate anything Germany did, and then immediate. But nobody wants to ever be the aggressor in a war, True. and that's the problem. Is is like, honestly, that's an interesting video. What if they just invaded first? <laughs> sure. Like, what if there was no appeasement? I mean, I, I know off the top of my head, the plan was for, I mean, France tried to uh, go through and invade, but I mean, like the German, it, it was, it was almost like a replica of World War One in a lot of senses. It would have been, yeah. It was the Schlieffen plan all over again, basically. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, France should have won. <laughs> yeah, France should have won. I mean, it would have uh, helped Poland out at least. <laughs> yeah. And I mean. Before Poland got only steamrolled because they expected uh, Britain and France to actually help. Um, Thank God the Soviets ended up uh, liberating Poland. Oh yeah! <laughs> Thank you, Soviets, for for destroying the anti-fascists. Yes, um, but <laughs> I thought this was the Pacific War. Why are we talking to the European? Because it, it always because you know, like like I even made an episode once with just a, a friend of mine over some beers, and yeah, actually, I think in that episode they see us drinking a lot. It was like, why does everyone care so much about Europe and not the Pacific? And there, there's a lot of good reasons. Uh, yeah. Number okay. one, my favorite quote, I forget who had, there was a guy who was asked uh, just like 10 years after the, the wars had ended and he was uh, being asked by interviewers like, why don't we have many books on the Pacific War? And this is in like the uh, mid 50s, maybe early 60s. And he said, the Pacific War is an ugly war. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that it makes you feel dirty. Yeah. Going through it. Yeah. Europe has this like heroic sense to it that, you know, and the battle, I'm like, not to say the battles weren't tragic in the West and everything, but a little less brutal <laughs> on the Western yeah. front compared to, you know, what we're seeing in the islands. <laughs> yeah. And that's just, I mean, it's really crazy how, how much there is this World War II media about, it's always about Europe. It's always about Europe. Yeah. Battle of Bulge. And... Yeah. Battle of Bulge and all that fun jazz. We have very few, very few about the Pacific. What, what I always find so funny about that is, especially, you know, for you as an American, it's almost exclusively America's show. Like, you would think, yeah. like, well, this is the war that we almost single-handedly, I mean, come on, the Australians are British and that, but it's like 80% Americans outside of New Guinea. Yeah, I think, I mean, really, it's one, the, the war was brutal. And two, there's a whole different, there's kind of a different connotation. Like, oh yeah, if you have American films with Americans fighting against Nazis and they're fighting against Germans yeah. and stuff like that. It's different than uh, a, a movie about Americans fighting against like the, the villainous Japanese. I think there's this Hollywood just doesn't really want this. There's a racial element to it that oh, yeah. is an uncomfortability. I think the only one of the few that actually did it was like Hacksaw Ridge. Like they did. And, yeah. and that was, eh, 
Yeah, Hacksaw there's very few. Was, you know, I've all the because I've oh God, I've watched like every freaking Pacific War movie. A lot of yeah. the old ones too. The old ones are interesting. They had a lot more. There's a lot of older Pacific. They don't really do Pacific War movies now, but yeah, they they. Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood when he did the dual um, letters from Iwo Jima and Flags of Our Father, I actually really liked that uh, idea that they were doing like two oh, sides yeah. of the conflict in these two movies. That's kind of the only way they do it now, honestly. It's yeah. Different. It's kind of you have the Japanese. You don't, yeah. If that makes sense, I think you know what I'm talking about. How it's like there's almost a sensitivity. When oh, there definitely about, is. Yeah, and I think it's also because we're allies with Japan. Now. I mean, that's what really is kind of the awkward yeah. thing because Japan, aside from us Canadians, I'd say Japan has become probably one of the greatest allies to the United States of America. Yeah, it's an uncomfortability. Nobody, and it's and it's like there's really no point. And talk in bringing it up, it's just a yeah. weirdness, and yeah. it's uncomfortable for both because yeah. the Japanese clearly were playing, you know, a game of who can perform the most atrocities <laughs> <laughs> during World War II, and they won. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I mean, okay, I mean, probably the German. Well, this apples and oranges. Yeah, but, and then for the Americans, it's like there, there's like a there's a very famous book that is basically the whole message of the book was just to acknowledge it was a race war in a lot of ways and it's like yeah that's there, basically that's basically what it was yeah. there was race there's a hundred percent racial components to pacific war you know in europe you didn't see americans taking human skulls uh for trophies like we'll say that much yeah but uh yeah there's a yeah no it's it's true and it, it's it very much is it's is a uncomfortability of especially even back then there's just this idea of a an oriental race that was gonna you know, the, we talk about like a fear of China today. That's exactly what they were like for Japan back then. It's the like, great yellow China. peril. <laughs> it's, there's always some great yellow peril. Yeah, you know, it's and so it's. <laughs> it's it is it's uncomfortable. That, that it you, is uncomfortable. You basically, yeah. yeah, you you hit it on the, the nail on the head with it. It's uh, it, and it doesn't uh, it doesn't appease either side. Like there's a there's quite a few good. Pacific War films made by Japan, but any time they ever touch that subject, it's like let's focus on something very specific and let let's let's not get off that target. We're not going to talk about anything involving POWs or anything else. Yeah, yeah, nothing um, in China. I, I guess on a lighter note, it is kind of funny how how it's completely switched. Though it's like Japan was the great yellow peril back then, China was the good ones, and now it's like China's the great peril and Japan's yeah. the switch. Completely well, switched. Yeah, World War Two, and then the World War Three. We're gonna switch. <laughs> We're gonna oh, mix yeah. it up. <laughs> God, it's it's fun to be like a YouTuber who covers you know military history, and like I just I remember I had to write a piece because uh, it was a project Ukraine. Yeah, um, uh, Gorgi from Kings and Generals wanted everybody to write a piece on Ukrainian history. Yeah, and I'm like, I was the Pacific War Channel, so I'm like, what can I possibly do that even remotely you know touches my subject so i i, I talked about japan's relationship with uh, korea when they subjugated them and then what happened with the soviet union and the ukrainians and I, there was some there was actually some play there and it kind of it's very hard very hard to do but <laughs> uh today with the way that things are in the world especially with the war in ukraine it's like i don't think there's ever been a better time to talk about alternate history Oh yeah, for sure. Especially when it comes yeah. to nuclear war. Yeah, I mean, there's, um, it's very. I, I think it's very interesting that we are living in historical times right now. Yeah, like 
Well, you can just tell, like, there's going to, this is the stuff that people are going to talk about, you know, assuming there is no nukes, but this is the stuff that people are going to talk about like 10 years from now, just like, oh man, wasn't that crazy how that, whatever the, the end result from that was, or. Uh, isn't it crazy we dodged like a nuclear holocaust like three times in one year? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was good, good times. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny just being, you know, someone that's history oriented and then you see the stuff that's happening now and there are so many parallels oh my God. that happened back then. And a lot of it is uncomfortable, but it is also, you know, what they say, it's like history doesn't repeat, it rhymes. And so yeah. we, we still have to kind of bring ourselves back from that and be like, okay, just because things are similar to how they were back then, these are still completely different times. You know, it's it just be like people in World War II comparing the situations that they had to like the Napoleonic Wars. And it's like, yeah. obviously that's, yeah. And so it's like, obviously it's not the same, completely different, you know, situation. You know, it's actually funny you mentioned that because like, uh, you, you see it more, I find in World War One, but the idea of just taking principles and tactics from the Napoleonic Wars and things that Napoleon did, like, uh, well, Hitler yeah. again, for example, he was terrified of the idea of taking Moscow and then there's nothing there. And he's just led most of his men to a disastrous conclusion. And he, in, to thwart that, he had the grand idea of just not giving them proper attire so that it would go quicker. And it ended up doing exactly, like it was, yeah, he yeah. caused his own downfall with that one. The lesson is just don't invade Russia. Just don't, just don't even, don't even try. Don't oh, yeah. do it. I, I mean, the one, unless you're the Mongols, just do it before True. the Russia and then you win. It works. Yeah. Or Sweden. Oh, yeah, Sweden, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, you just did an episode, I think, that was touching I, on that. I did. Uh, there are so many things that I left out of that video that I <laughs> wanted to talk about, and I knew people would bring it up, and they certainly did. And so they're just like, what if, you know, what if Gustavus Adolphus, like, survived and, and stuff like that, or, or all this, like, very specific 18th century, uh, you know, Euro Northern European politics, and I'm like, I know that's uh, there's only so much I can fit in a 20 minute video. <laughs> I can't. It would be interesting as that's just I can't I can't talk about all the stuff all the time. That's the funny thing about alternate history. It's like people think you kind of forget about something if you leave it out of a script. And it's like, no, I just can't talk about something for 50 minutes. <laughs> God, yeah. You know, because uh, I know we're pressing on more and more for time here, but I do have to ask one more alternate history related question since you did do an episode on it. And I think people would kill me if I didn't ask. And it's the one okay. that people love to hear after Pearl Harbor. Even though I, I think we both agree it doesn't actually change much in the end. But uh, what if Japan had won the Battle of Midway was an episode you had did. You had done. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure it would have just it, it just set back the Americans a little bit. That's pretty much all it would have done. It's it, and it's such a. I know people hate it, hearing it. It's such so a boring like, answer. Yeah, yeah. But That's what yeah. sucks about like the when you talk about nation states going up against each other. There's so there's just an upper limit. Yeah. The capabilities of stuff. Sometimes you're not gonna you're not gonna expect uh, Vietnam to invade China and successfully win, even if they have the best military tactics. And it's like same thing with Japan. It's like economics and. Uh, resources is what wins wars, not battles. No battles help. Although, uh, yeah, and there was one thing I loved, though, in that video that you had done, because it's something that no one ever thinks about. Part of the botched Midway plan was, well, 
the Imperial Japanese Army demanded that they actually do something. So they wanted to invade the uh, Midway Atoll. Yeah. And like you say in the video, let's say they win the battle and it's flawless, whatever. As soon as those boys land on Midway, they're gunned down. <laughs> like, there's not even a hint of a chance of a, of a success there. It's such, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the interesting thing about Pacific War. It's just, it's boats, and then the islands aren't the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and especially the Japanese love, if they ever depict anything from that, like an anime, there's a very few animes that touch World War II, but if they ever do them, they always like, okay, let's just have aircraft and boats, nothing else to show yeah. that. Yeah. It's because that's the most, that's the most interesting, you know, that's a lot more interesting to depict than, you know, starving to death in Vietnam, yeah. pre-Vietnam, pretty much. That's, that's what the Pacific War and on the islands is, just pre-Vietnam. It's just fighting in the jungle thing, at least from the American consciousness. Because I think Amer when Americans think of fighting in the jungle, they think of Vietnam. They don't really think of the Pacific War. They, when they think of the Pacific War, they think of like the ocean and island hopping, but they never really think of like the island fighting itself. Yeah, it, even for myself when I was younger and I was trying to like get an idea of it. Because you know, you see movies when you're growing up, and then when I read the literature, especially for a place like New Guinea, you could be freezing to death on some of the terrains and then you'd be marching for another few hours and then you'd be in like a rainforest it was insane they had geo the geography of some of these islands is like why would you want to fight here like oh my god yeah it, re it really is like the worst terrain imaginable yeah just uh, oh god J jungle fighting in general even in the best conditions is just the worst thing and it's <laughs> it's a logistical nightmare um but yeah sorry for the anticlimactic answer for midway but that's what oh. that's how it always usually is yeah i i've been asked that question so many times and i hate to say it it's the same answer i give and there's a very famous book uh, shattered sword and it's one of the few <laughs> history books that does answer an alternate history question because they even say if the japanese had won this battle uh the war would be set back about five months and <laughs> that's how they ended i think <laughs> and it's yeah that's the unfortunate uh you know if the japanese did really good at Pearl Harbor. It's like, oh, it's a setback for a year instead of six months, and it's yeah. it's the inevitable's the inevitable. I think um, one uh, one alternate history I I've been thinking of, and it's a lot bigger than just like, oh, Japan, you know, winning a specific battle or anything like that. Um, a lot of people have been asking me, what if Japan just like never entered the war in the first place? Oh yeah. Um, or uh, I was talking to armchair historian. And he uh, he 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 was doing a video or about uh, Japanese industrialization and okay. how it was it was a uh, something that could have possibly not happened if things had gone differently. Definitely. So it's like if there was a situation where Japan didn't industrialize, or if they had remained in sort of a similar situation like a a societal stagnation like China, say they didn't modernize, they didn't become a third power in the Axis powers. How exactly does the 1940s work out in World War II? And that's a, that's the thing that I, I'm kind of, you know, I'm doing a lot of research for and stuff like that. Because we're talking a whole <laughs> whole two generations of for Japan, a whole altering, like no moders, modernization, no anything. Um, but I think that's very interesting from like an American perspective. If they didn't have to fight the Pacific War, how differently would the European War go? And that's that's something I'm, I've been. And that's kind of the only thing of like, Oh, that's how Japan would win in the in World War Two is if they weren't involved in World War Two, essentially. Yeah. You know, uh 
I guess in my 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 hopes of ever influencing you to do an episode, I, I would have one thing to point out that's on the a similar foot to that. Are you you know when you're you're going down the rabbit hole? What caused World War II, for example? You go further and further. You end up even at Napoleon sometimes because it could all these things can domino or butterfly effect onwards. When it comes to the Pacific War, one of the main triggers was uh, it was known as the Triple Intervention. It happened during the first Sino-Japanese War. So after the Japanese had defeated China, they were signing a treaty, and they wanted to acquire uh, Port Arthur in the Laodong Peninsula. Very important to uh, to the Japanese, more important to the Chinese, mind you. But three nations all of a sudden politely advised Japan to not do that because it was too much. And these nations were, uh, one of them was Russia. Mm-hmm. And it was France and Germany on the other side. As soon as Japan backed off, because it was an illicit threat to them, uh, Russia took Port Arthur for itself, and they leased it. And that caused the Russo-Japanese War, which further causes other events that leads to the Pacific War. Yeah. So I was always curious, if Japan wasn't messed with, and they did retain that, what would happen? Man, that is a, a lengthy question. Uh, that, yeah, but no, I mean, that's an interesting idea, um, and that's something that I would have to a lot of research into just the Japanese mindset at the late 19th century. But um, yeah, I mean, that I. Hmm. The reason why I bring it up is because it, it's one of the rare circumstances where it's a, a small event that triggers major events that just get yeah. worse and worse. So yeah. the, the Russo Japanese War is because of this situation. But when Japan defeats uh, the Russians, they are then in their in their viewpoint, screwed over by Teddy Roosevelt, who they think, you know, yeah. ru- ruins their peace deal. So then they become antagonistic to America, even though prior to that, they were really buddy buddies with America. Yeah. The and, one thing I'm just wondering is, was it an inevitability if Japan, for Japan and America to inevitably clash? To someone, uh, particularly uh, Ishiwara Kanji, who is a, I don't know if you ever heard of this guy. He is fascinating. He, uh, he wrote a you can call it a theory. He called it the final war theory. He wrote this in the 1920s where he thought there was going to be a huge war. There was going to be a war like World War I where all the major cities in the world would be bombed uh, by aircraft in his mind. Yeah. And they would be destroyed in the first few minutes of this conflict. And he thought that Japan's ultimate enemy would show itself and it would be the United States. And yeah. he ends up being the mastermind, uh, the mastermind who pushes Japan to invade Manchuria uh, because he thinks that Japan needs to build its industrial base to be able to fight this hypothetical war in the future. And Mm -hmm. the enemy to him is the United States. But what's funny about this guy is he, he's a big contradiction. (laughs) Uh, He wants to invade China to save the Chinese. That's yeah. That's actually, that, that is actually very funny. That's a lot of the the Axis powers. Yeah, everyone everyone thinks that they were. It's like liberators, or not liberators, but like you know, Nazi Germany obviously had this whole Aryan idea, yeah. and but why did they team up with Japan and stuff like that? And if Japan didn't like America or like Europeans, why did they team up with J- Germany? And it was because they did hate each other, but it was also uh, an alliance of obligation yeah at that point and it's funny going deeper into axis politics they both knew 
they were going to inevitably stab each other in the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's actually why the man in the high castle has kind of the taste to it, where Uh in the show, especially, I I love how they always present it as they're like, you know, oh, we're great buddies. They go to these meetings together and they're always showing face and then they're always in back rooms. Like, how are we going to defeat them? Yeah. And and so it's funny that it's like Japan had this idea that there was going to be this inevitable great war, or at least, you know, some elements in Japan have this idea of it. Um, And Germany had the exact same idea, too. Yeah. Uh, I've even uh there was a um Hitler even wrote that he he felt like he was uh, betraying Germany doing this alliance with Japan uh but the way that he kind of talked himself out of it was like oh once we inevitably go to war with Japan we're we'll give the Dutch back Indonesia we'll give Britain <laughs> back and France back yeah, that's what he oh, thought yeah. he was just like oh yeah well yeah sure Japan owns it right now but when we inevitably destroy Japan we'll give Europeans all those colonies back. Oh, um, God. And it's, and it's just interesting that it's like, they knew, because uh, Germany thought the exact same thing of Japan, that there was going to be this global final war, but between Germany and Japan, essentially. Uh, and the only, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's funny that Japan thought the same thing. <laughs> well, I would... What's what's so crazy about this? The only reason I bring it up because uh, it was I, I I made a Patreon account. Long story short, in this Patreon, I was asking everybody. I'm like, hey, I made this account. I want to make exclusive stuff to you guys. So please tell me what you want to hear about, and I'll I'll do exclusive yeah. podcasts for you. And this one guy's like, can you please do a podcast on General Kanji Ishiwara? So I was like, all right. I knew a bit about the guy. I didn't know anything really specific, so I went to his biography. And you you know he's like a not. Uh, he's like a fortune teller i don't know how he he, he actually foresaw a lot of things that would occur and it's frightening right. his what? uh well for example in he's a weird person because and this is funny to say he was a guy in the military who was interested in military history <laughs> and the only reason i say that is it's a lot of people who are they go through like um, boot camp and everything and they have to learn about certain you know military tactics and the history of all this he was obsessed so he was particularly obsessed with Clausewitz and all sorts of European histories going far back. But he was really, really obsessed with the idea that military events would uh, change the world outcome and then they would lead to other events like other uh, wars and stuff. Yeah. And he pieced together like for years and years this idea that there was going to be a new type of war. And what he envisioned, although there was no such thing as nuclear bombs at the time, was nuclear bomb strikes. He envisioned that in the new modern war, all the major cities, London, Berlin, Tokyo, all these would be destroyed in a matter of minutes. In his head, he thought biplanes with big bombs are going to blow them up, like (laughs) thousands of them. Wow. And he wasn't too, too wrong. Uh, It's interesting how he kind of predicts this. And he even puts numbers and he has this wonky chart he made, which is hilarious to look at, about like how... Even though World War II was occurring at a certain point, he thought, no, there's still another war that'll happen in the 70s. And that's that's the final war, because I guess World War II wasn't meeting his expectations or something. <laughs> but he uh, he's a he's hardcore into Buddhism. And there's like an apocalyptic message in Buddhism or the Nichiren version of it that he was uh, he believed. So yeah. he molds these ideas of like religion and military history into like it's an inevitability that we're going to have this global event and it's going to be the United States as like the one that's going to fight us. And somehow Japan is going to 
get all of Asia to join on their side to defeat the Americans. And he does all of this work to try and go in, take Manchuria, to get China to ally to Japan. And when it literally isn't working, because, duh, he basically gets uh, kicked out of the military. And he just complains the whole time about Hideki Tojo and how he's an idiot and how they need to stop messing with China. He, it's it's so weird. This guy's life is insane. So if, if he hadn't been involved, do you think Japan would have invaded Manchuria? If Ishi, if Kanji Ishiwada wasn't alive, I'm not kidding. The world would be completely different. You, you, <laughs> if you ever have a chance, there's a single biography on him, and I think it's titled something as uh, Ishiwada's War or something. He was never a high, high-ranking officer in the IGA. But he was the biggest lecturer, and all the young officers were in love with him, and they all believed his theories. He single-handedly pushed the invasion of Manchuria, and you could say he's the man that started World War II in a lot of ways. That is insane. I will, I will have to check that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on part four of a podcast series just because I read a single book on the guy, but I got yeah. down a rabbit hole on it. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a whole thing. I've, I've never heard of. That's insane. Um. But yes, I mean that. Okay, that's a situation where it would be one single man doesn't change. There you go. <laughs> Alter history episode. This guy's not born, or he yeah. gets hit by a train. <laughs> gets hit by a train or something. Yeah, yeah. that works. <laughs> well, I uh, I know you're a busy man, uh, but honestly, I didn't even get a chance at the beginning to say this. But for those people who might not know about you, could you explain your two channels? Oh, okay. Uh, so I run Alter History Hub which is uh, just a channel that talks about alternate history, trying to delve into other branch on other topics like history and stuff like that now. Um, and then I also have a second channel called Pointless Hub, uh, which just talks about anything that I'm, I'm kind of interested in. I talk about just funny movies or disaster movies or just dumb, stupid things like that. And it's a more comedic, comedic channel. And the two have completely clashing... <laughs> Just whole moods. One talks about war, and the other just talks about like Jingle All the Way from like the Arnold oh Schwarzenegger. Movie. That was a good so, one. Yeah. So <laughs> check any of those out if you if you want. Who knows? <laughs> All right, you heard it here, folks. Please go check him out, and uh, thank you again for appearing on this humble and small little podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. All right. Uh, this has been the Pacific War Channel. Over and out. <laughs>